Amen to that. It's hard to believe, but Christmas is almost upon us, isn't it? I'm sure everybody's ready, right? Well, perhaps some of you might not be aware of this. I, I've noted that fewer and fewer people are actually listening to the news, and that's probably a good thing. But the Supreme Court actually recently ruled that you cannot have a nativity scene in Washington, D.C., the nation's capital. Now, the reason for this is not religious. It's not about the separation of church and state. The actual issue was they couldn't find three wise men and a virgin. All right. Sadly, there's a lot of truth to that probably, but we're not going to get into politics today. It is Christmas time, and so I thought it would be appropriate thing to focus on Christmas, and I want to talk about the forgotten man of Christmas, and I've entitled the message this morning, Who is Joseph Davidson? And people are wondering, what in the world is that title? And you need to think about it. Who is Joseph, David's son, all right? And you'll, you'll get it, all right. Uh, Lord, we just thank you for humor, don't we? We even thank you for pastors with bad humor, And I am so thankful for everyone here this morning. And now, Lord, I just ask, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here, that you would just fill this place. I ask that you would give us soft hearts to hear this message this morning and ears to hear. I ask that you would fill me from the soles of my feet to the crown of my head. And I just thank you for what you're now going to do in these next several minutes. And I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. That is... What is truly amazing about Christmas, the the creator of the universe would actually put on human skin, and that is how he revealed himself to us. That's really the centerpiece of the Christmas story. You know, and most of us, when we think about Christmas, we think about decorating our houses and whatnot. We got the Christmas trees, we got the lights, and a lot of us would probably have a nativity scene around the house, and you know, there's the obvious cast of characters that go with the nativity scene. You have Baby Jesus in the creche, and he's kind of the centerpiece. And then there's Mary, of course. And then you might have some farm animals, such as sheep and cows and and maybe some chickens. And then, of course, you have the wise men, and you can tell who they are because they're wearing crowns and, of course, carrying gifts. And then you have various shepherds of ages, various ages and sizes, and some are big and some are old and some are young and whatnot. And then if you have the deluxe, you know, model of the nativity. Say so you got a kind of a lot of extra pieces, right? And uh, there was this family, the parents bought the deluxe nativity set and they kind of played a game with their, their children. The game was, who is Joseph? Who is Joseph? And some of them said, well, you know, Joseph is the old guy and he's, you know, kind of leaning on the staff. He's, he's the wise one. And then there were the more romantic types there. And they said, no, 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 Mary wouldn't marry an old codger, an old crotchety man like that. He'd marry someone much, she would marry someone much younger, you know, someone more handsome and bigger and stronger. And they'd pick out a figure that would match that. And, and so it went, the family continued to debate which figure was actually Joseph. And you know, as I was thinking about that, the sad reality is Joseph is the forgotten character of Christmas. You know, Joseph is kind of like Father's Day. Who cares, right? You know? Oh, here we go. Here we go. Jeepers. (laughs) 
Any man knows that it's true. Any man knows that that's true. And, you know, one reason, though, here's kind of an intriguing thing. One reason why most people don't pay attention to Joseph is do you know that he never says one word in Scripture? Not a peep. I mean, you can check it out for yourself. Again, you'll have lots of time because the Giants are playing and you know they're going to lose, so you don't need to worry about that. You know, uh, but, you know, Joseph is kind of like an, an extra. He's, he's kind of a minor character that gets a credit at the end of the movie. And yet I want you to know this morning that Joseph really is a very important character in the Christmas story. I think it was Emerson who said, what you do speaks so loudly that I cannot hear what you say. And if that is true, what Joseph did speaks so loudly, it was not necessary for him to say one word in Scripture. And the obvious question is, so what did Joseph do? In a word, obedience. Joseph was incredibly obedient. What he did was remarkably simple and simply remarkable. Most of us now are somewhat familiar with the Joseph of the Christmas story. He was engaged to a young woman who was suddenly and strangely pregnant. An angel tells him, though, in the dream, don't worry, Joseph, it's an act of God. Go ahead and marry her, and without a peep, he does that. Then this confused carpenter is forced to drop all of his tools and he's forced to go to the backwater town of Bethlehem for a census with his very pregnant wife. And towing again, not a word, not a word. Joseph just goes and he does it. And while in Bethlehem, another, he has another dream. And in that dream, God tells him to flee to a foreign land, to Egypt with his new baby son and young bride. And as far as we know, Joseph had no connections, he had no job, he had no place to stay. Yet, he just picks up and he goes without a peep. Truly amazing. And then while he was there in Egypt, he has another dream shortly thereafter. And in the dream, God tells him to go back to Israel because King Herod, who was attempting to kill his son, is now dead himself. And you would think, now Joseph would say something. God, can't you get it together and figure out what you want me to do? But again, there's just not a peep. He just picks up and he goes right back to Israel. Joseph is truly amazing. You can summarize Joseph's entire life with one simple word, obedience. Does obedience sum up your life? And I had to ask myself, does obedience really sum up Frank Ray's life? You know, in the remaining moments we have, I just want to briefly look at the obedience of Joseph. Joseph's obedience was an obedience of immediacy. Every time God spoke to Joseph, he just immediately did it. You know, as I thought about obedience, so often our obedience is kind of like our children's obedience, isn't it? For example, you'll tell your child to clean up their room. And an hour later, they come back and you ask them, well, did you clean up your room? And they say, well, you know, you know, Dad, I, I sat on the edge of my bed and I, and I imagined what a clean room might really look like if my room was really clean. 
And you say, I didn't ask you to do that. I asked you to clean up your room. And you send your child, you know, back up to the room. And they come back an hour later. And you say, well, now did you clean up your room? And, and they say to you, well, not exactly. But I want you to know, I looked up the word clean in the dictionary. And I really learned some fascinating things about clean, Dad. Do you want to hear about those? And you say, no, I really don't want to hear about those. I just want to know if you've got a clean room. And you send your child back up to clean their room. And an hour later, they come back downstairs again. And you ask them, now I hope your room is clean. And they say, you know, dad, isn't technology wonderful? I kind of Facebook five of my friends and we kind of had a small group and we talked about how we might clean up our rooms. Isn't that awesome, dad? And you go, no, no, it's really not awesome. I just want you to clean up your room. And you know, so often our obedience is just like our children. It's an obedience of procrastination. And just as you and I are not impressed with that kind of obedience, I want you to know that God is not impressed with that kind of obedience. Now, many of us have what I call the Moses obedience. You know what the Moses obedience is? Well, we find it in the book of Exodus in chapter 3. In verse 1, we're told this about Moses. One day, Moses. And we just want to stop there for a moment. And I want to give you the scene. The scenario of Exodus chapter 3 and Moses the Magnificent. In Exodus chapter 3, Moses the Magnificent is 80 years old at this time. And Moses' life, you know, divides neatly into three parts, into three sections. The first 40 years of Moses' life, he spent it growing up in the palace of the Pharaoh of Egypt. He, He was a palace man. In fact, Moses was educated in the finest institutions in the world. You might say that he was a man of the world. And and Moses, because of this, he thought he was something. He thought he was something. And you know, that mentality will get you in trouble. It got Moses in trouble. Moses goes out and he finds an Egyptian beating some Jews. And in pride and arrogance, he kills that Egyptian. And he's forced to flee for his life. He flees to the desert, and God, for the next 40 years, enrolls him in his divinity school. Now, you know the name of his divinity school, don't you? DTS, Desert Theological Seminary. And Moses there has four of the finest heavenly instructors. There he meets Dr. Humility, Dr. Solitude, Dr. Time, and of course, Dr. Perseverance. Have you met them? Do you know them? And at the end of 40 years, Moses the Magnificent graduates summa cum laude. Of course, he's the only student in the class, but he's summa cum laude nonetheless. At DTS, Moses learns one very, very important lesson. Do you remember what it is? Moses, in those 40 years, learned that he was nothing. That is right. You know, far too many people pray, Lord, help me to be nothing. Newsflash, you are nothing. It took Moses 40 years to grasp that lesson. Have you learned that lesson? No, no, have you learned that lesson? Have I learned that lesson? You know what amazes me about Joseph? He's a young guy. He's a young guy, and he learns that lesson so early in life. And that is one of the great reasons why Moses had an obedience of immediacy. Well, Moses, in the last 40 years of his life, he learned another valuable lesson. You know what that lesson was? God can take something and make 
or God can take nothing and make something. God can make something out of nothing, and that ought to give every single one of us hope. It gives me a lot of hope. Well, we get ahead of ourselves. Now you have the setting, all right? So, Skip, I want you to put up now Exodus chapter 3 and verses 1 through 3, and we're told this. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of the bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go and see it. Now, no one's going to tell you that Moses was the brightest light bulb in the classroom. He clearly wasn't. But, you know, Moses did know one thing. He knew that a bush that is burning and not consumed. Now, that's unusual. Moses had seen, obviously, in 40 years, many bushes burning in the desert. Nothing unusual about that. But a bush that is burning, that is not consumed, now that is unusual. And Moses went over, like any curious person, and he examined it. And you know, when he went over to that bush, it just freaked him out. Because you know what he saw? Skip put up the picture. You see, so many of us focus on the burning bush, It tells us that there was an angel of the Lord in the burning bush. And we missed the angel of the Lord. Do you know who the angel of the Lord was? It was Jesus. It was Jesus. It was was none other than a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. And and let me tell you, that has so many, many ramifications. And I want to come back to that in a moment. But Skip, can you put up the next set of verses? When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am. Moses replied, do not come any closer. uh, Moses, uh, do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering, so I have come down to rescue them. And what I just want you to see in these set of verses, it's just absolutely critical that you see this, that the angel of the Lord is in fact God. God and the angel of the Lord are one and the same thing. And God, out of the burning bush, the angel of the Lord commands Moses to do this. Skip, put up Exodus chapter 3 and verse 10. He says this, now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people out of Egypt. Now the command is clear. In fact, it's crystal clear. And what is Moses' response to this crystal clear command of God. Now, remember, you know, see this in opposition or in comparison to, to Joseph. And what is his response? Get put it up. But Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? Now, I don't know about you, but Moses says, and he realizes it's God, and he's putting the God of the universe on hold. No, do you realize? I mean, he's putting the God of the universe on hold. In fact, he's not only questioning 
God's authority here. He's actually questioning God's sanity. Are you kidding me? You want me to go to the most powerful man on planet Earth. And here's what God said. And by the way, I want you to realize, look at the difference between Moses' obedience and Joseph's obedience. Moses' obedience is an obedience of excuses. An obedience of excuses. Now watch what God says to Moses in verse 12. Skip, put it up. He says this. God answered, Moses, I'll be with you. You know, I find that amazing. Theologians call this the condensation of God. God is merciful to Moses. He could have done, boom, wiped him out. He doesn't do that, though. He says, I will be with you. God lowers himself to Moses. And so what is Moses' response now to God? Verse 13. Skip put it up. Moses, though, protested again. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? You know, I I, I just find this absolutely astounding. Moses questions God again. Another excuse. And this time, though, he asked God for some identification. No, no, he's asking the God of the universe for his driver's license. And you know what the amazing thing is? God gives it to him. Put up Exodus 3.14. It says this. God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent you. God says, I am. Do you know what God was saying to Moses when he said, I am? He was saying to Moses, I am the eternal one. And I live in the Ever present now. Moses, if you choose to live in the past with all of its regrets and all of your failures and all of your sins, you will find that I am not there because my name is not I was. And Moses, if you choose to live in the future with all of its problems and all of its worries and all of its fears, you will again find that I am not there because my name is not I will be. But Moses, if you live in the present, if you live Right now, you will find me and I will be there because my name is I am. And we've learned this before. When Moses learned what God's name was, I am, he also learned what his name was, which is, which is, I am not. It's not only Moses' name, it's your name, it's my name. God is I am and you and I are I am not. And let me tell you, if you grab hold of that, it is a powerful, powerful lesson. And I still can't believe it. Joseph, at a very young age, learned his name was I am not. And that is one of the reasons why his obedience was an obedience of immediacy. Now, earlier I said to you that it was Jesus who was speaking. Jesus was the angel of the Lord in the burning bush. And, and, and that means, by the way, that Jesus is God. So often people say, you know, you know, pastor, Jesus never claimed to be God in the New Testament. That is simply not true. In fact, we see this in John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, Skip, can you put it up? Jesus is having a confrontation with the religious leaders, with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and here's part of that confrontation. Jesus replied to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father whom you claim is your God is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. 
but I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. That's interesting in itself. He's saying Abraham is still alive. And that ought to give any believer. We heard about Mark. Mark Temple, let me tell you, is very much alive right now. You are not yet 50 years old, the Jews said, and you have seen Abraham? I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Let me tell you something. The Jewish leaders knew exactly what Jesus was claiming to be. They understood that Jesus was saying, I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob. I am the one who was speaking to Moses in the burning bush. I am your God. No, no, and that was too much for him. And they picked up stones to stone him. You know, all too often I will hear people say, you know, I like the God of the New Testament. I like Jesus. He's nice. But I don't like the God of the Old Testament. He's mean. He's angry. He's nasty. And he's judgmental. And I always, I always hate to tell these people it was Jesus in the Old Testament. It was Jesus in the Old Testament. It was Jesus. Do you realize it was Jesus who walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day in the Garden of Eden? Do you realize that it was Jesus who appeared to Abraham and walked and he talked with them on the sands of Palestine. Do you realize that it was Jesus who was talking to Moses in the burning bush? Do you realize it was Jesus who was the angel? He was the commanding angel or the angel commander speaking to General Joshua, giving him the instructions, the battle instructions of taking down Jericho. Do you realize it was Jesus? He was the fourth person in the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. You see, Jesus and I am, they are one and the same. Now, interestingly enough, Moses, though, is not the only luminary in the Bible to give God excuses. There's, of course, Isaiah. Isaiah has this fantastic vision of God, high and exalted in his temple. And what does he give God? He gives God an excuse. He said, I am a man of unclean lips. And then there's Jeremiah, and he was called to be a prophet to the nations. And what does he give God? He gives God two excuses. I am too young, and I can't speak well. And then there is Amos, of course, the farmer from the backwater town of Tekoa. And God calls him to be his prophet. And what does Amos give him? He gives him An excuse. He says, I don't have the credentials to be a prophet. And then there's Joseph. He's the simple carpenter. And when God gives him an incredibly difficult word, what does Joseph do? He does the Nike thing. Just do it. And Joseph does it. And Joseph does it. Listen now very carefully, very carefully to the words that the Apostle John writes in the book of 1 John in chapter 2. Here he gives us this test of salvation. Now watch this. And we can, now this is the Apostle John, the Apostle that Jesus loved. And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and the truth is is not living in him. Do you realize that God could care less? He is not interested in your gold. He is not interested in our giftedness, nor is he interested in our guilt-ridden excuses. He just wants to be obeyed. 
God simply wants to be obeyed. In fact, he said in the Old Testament, obedience is better than sacrifice. And Joseph, I want you to know, lived this truth out. And I had to ask myself, do I? Do you? Well, let's wind this message down. I want to give you the challenge this morning. I want to give you the challenge this morning. Here's the challenge. The forgotten man of Christmas, Joseph, he shows us the influence of a good example. The forgotten man of Christmas shows us the influence of a good example. There is a painting in the Louvre in Paris, France. It's a painting by Georges de Latour, and it's entitled Joseph the Carpenter. Skip, put it up for a moment. You can see it a little better here on the right-hand side. That one's going bad. But, you know, it's interesting. There you see a more mature Joseph, an older Joseph, and he's, he's a sturdier Joseph. And, and next to him is Jesus. Jesus is there. He's about 10 years old. And you'll notice that he's holding a candle. And no, no doubt Latour wanted us to know that Jesus is, in fact, the light of the world. And Joseph is clearly busy. Maybe he's got a deadline that he needs to meet. But when you look closely at the shadows, illumined by the candle that Jesus is holding, you will actually see that there are two pieces of wood running perpendicular to each other. These two pieces of wood actually form a cross. Joseph and Jesus are making a cross together. And Jesus, who saw the obedience of his earthly father, Joseph, learned that same exact obedience to his heavenly father, Jesus. And that obedience led him to a cross. A cross. The death on the Cross, And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking how glad I am, how happy I am for the example that Joseph had for Jesus. Because it was from his earthly father that Jesus learned obedience of immediacy. And let me tell you, I am so glad that he learned that lesson. And I pray that you are. Glad that he learned that lesson because that's why Joseph is probably the main character of the Christmas story. And that's why God chose Joseph to be Jesus' earthly father because it was from him that he learned in obedience of immediacy that led to life for every single person, every single person here who surrenders their life to the Lord Jesus Christ and receives what he did on the cross. And I pray if you have not met that Jesus, the Jesus who died for you, and it was given this morning, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever would trust in him, whosoever would believe in him, whosoever would surrender to him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And that is the greatest Christmas gift of all. And I pray you received it. Father, I just thank you for Christmas. And there's so many, many lessons in Christmas. And 
I thank you for Joseph, and he is. And, 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 and there's probably many people here this morning who the world does not know. The world didn't notice Joseph. In fact, most Christians don't even notice Joseph. Yet you knew Joseph. And you picked Joseph to be the father of the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Someone who probably didn't have a lot of talent. Someone who wasn't flashy. Someone who didn't have a great media ministry. Someone who the world didn't take note of. But you did. You took note of him because you saw his heart. And he had a heart of obedience. An obedience that didn't procrastinate. An obedience that didn't make excuses. Just an obedience that said yes and did it. I just pray for each one of us. That's what puts a smile on your face when we have that kind of obedience. May we have that heart. I ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Hi, I'm Jeff Eckstein, one of the pastors here at Bethlehem Community Church. Welcome to our Sunday podcast, coming to you from the town of Bethlehem in upstate New York in the USA. Bethlehem Community Church is an independent, non-denominational, Bible-based evangelical church that includes people with backgrounds from many denominations. We believe that it is only through the love of the Father, the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on the cross, and the power of the Holy Spirit that we can come into a personal relationship with God. We are people truly seeking a deeper intimacy with God and with one another. If you'd like to know more about our church, please visit our website at www.bccdelmar.org. There you'll be able to find our statement of faith, as well as more about the ministry of Bethlehem Community Church. You'll also be able to submit prayer requests as we are called to pray with and for you. We also would love to hear your story and how you found our podcast and where you're listening from. So please visit our website and send us an email. Again, it's bccdelmar.org. That's bccdelmar.org. Thank you for joining us as we continue our pursuit of knowing God and making him known.